I'd appreciate if you'd take a moment to give me your thoughts about the previous year on the Lutheran Cartographer, what you liked and what could be improved. If you could go to lutherancartographer.com slash 2020 survey, I'd appreciate it. Let's get into the show. The Lutheran Cartographer, episode 55. Cartographer, the podcast where we explore what it's like to be Lutheran in different places. I'm your host, Nicholas Weber. Today we're going to Gretna, Louisiana to talk to Pastor Larry Bean. He is the pastor of Salem Lutheran Church there in Gretna. Pastor Bean, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Nicholas. Tell us, where exactly are we geographically. Most people know Louisiana and New Orleans, but help orient those that might not be as familiar with the Southeast. Sure. Um, Gretna is really, we, we border up against New Orleans, actually. We're a small city. Um, we're not, not a suburb, but we're a small city. We're right next to New Orleans. Uh, it's a historic city. Um, we're on the west bank of the Mississippi River, uh, which is kind of geographically challenging to describe because even though it's called the West Bank, to get there, you have to drive due east across the river. <laughs> So you drive east to get to the West Bank, and it's called the West Bank, but we're actually due south of the city. So it makes no sense at all, but that's just typical of um, of the New Orleans area. Um, we're kind of in our own category. Um, and uh, actually, the New Orleans area, we are very, very far south. I don't think a lot of people realize just how far south we are. So like, for instance, most people think of southern Mississippi as, as pretty far south, but uh, for me to get to the southernmost point in Mississippi, I have to drive due north across the longest bridge in the world uh, to get there. So um, we're really, really far south. Um, we're like 32 degrees latitude, so we're only nine degrees north of the tropics. So uh, we, we are definitely in the deep south. And, and, and again, we are kind of... Um, we are uh, part of New Orleans in the sense of culturally, architecturally, and all of that, but we're a completely dif different governmental jurisdiction. So we have kind of, it's, it, it feels like New Orleans, but it's also, we also have that kind of small town uh, feel to it as well. I see. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. What's your background and how did you come to, to Gretna? Well, I grew up actually up north uh, near Akron, Ohio, and uh, my first real job out of school, um, I went to upstate New York, uh, to Schenectady, New York, out over near Albany, and I, I worked there for a few months, and then they sent me down to White Plains, New York, which is down near New York City. I did computers. I was an IT guy for about 12 years before I went into uh, went to seminary. So from there, I mean, because of work, I kind of jumped around. I was a consultant, so I lived in Philadelphia for about five years. Um, and then my wife and I, we got married and my wife and I moved to Atlanta. We lived in Atlanta for a very brief time. And then I, I went to seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and I was there for three years. And then I did a delayed vicarage in Columbia, South Carolina, which we loved. It was a wonderful, wonderful place. And then um, my first call uh, was in 2004 in the New Orleans area. And we've been here ever since. Fantastic. So you've lived in many, many different places. How would you contrast where you are now in New Orleans with the, your time in South Carolina, with Fort Wayne, and with your time up north? Yeah, the, most of my life has been, as I said, uh, lived in the in the in the north and contended with snow and ice and you know those those uh, those big storms in the winter. And uh, the the big difference here, it's it is such a warm subtropical lush you know just a, a it's a, it's it's like a paradise you know uh, especially me because i hate shoveling snow and the worst thing to me was like scraping windshields i never have to do that ever never ever you know we get snow <laughs> we get a dusting of snow maybe once every five years maybe and and i remember at our uh, our school uh we had a, a little a little rinky-dink little snowstorm and, and it's like school stopped the parents the i mean the uh, teachers and the kids were all outside taking pictures you know because we got like an eighth of an inch of snow um so the the climate is 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 very different um the 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 the, the 
plants and animals are different. I mean, we have alligators. You can go see alligators just a few minutes from here. We have, we're surrounded by palm trees. We have lizards all over you know, our yard and our house. Um, I have a little tiny house and a little little yard, but I've got several citrus trees. I've got orange trees growing right outside my window. I, I can reach out my bedroom window and pluck an orange. Um, we have been we had banana trees, which sounds cool, but they're not. They're weeds. They're a pest. They're just horrible. They get they get like 30, 40 feet high, and you can't kill them. Uh, fortunately, my next door neighbor's a landscape guy, and and uh, and he's managed to uh, get rid of them. But they're horrible. But uh, the culture here is wonderful. I mean, the people are so friendly. It's really familial. When you've lived here for a while, you become part of everyone's extended family. Um, when I first moved here, it was ex- explained to me that um, we're not really, we're not really an American. We're not really an American city and we're not really even a Southern city. We're more of a Caribbean city. And that's very true. I found that very true to be culturally speaking. We're very much like the Caribbean. Um, it's, it's such a, it's, it is very, very different than other places I've lived. It's, it's unique. It really is. And, and my wife and I have gone completely native. We absolutely love it here. All right. Great. So tell us a little bit more about that Caribbean atmosphere. Many people might not know what that means in terms of what the day-to-day, how it changes kind of the day-to-day life, the relationships. You've already talked about that familial aspect. What other parts would you highlight for our listeners who are trying to get their minds around? What exactly does that mean? Well, um, for instance, because of the nature of the, the way New Orleans was settled, it's you know, we the, the area has been under many different flags. We were French, we were Spanish, we were English, we were American. We've got uh, a, a strong uh, black culture, a, a, a Creole culture, a Cajun culture. And it's like it all kind of comes together in this sort of uh, metropolitan gumbo pot, this mix. And it's it's sort of like you, you get to experience the best of everyone's culture. And, um, you know, Fortunately, we don't really have, especially in Gretna, where we're we're a smaller uh, city. Uh, people have grown up side by side for generations. Uh, in our city, we don't have uh, racial and ethnic strife. Everybody kind of gets along, and uh, just we just sort of look at each other as kind of one people that have lots of different branches in the family tree. Um, of course, the the food is is awesome. I mean, people come from all over the world to eat here, and and the stuff that you know, when if we have a potluck at church or if we get together with friends, the kind of food that we eat is, it's normal for us, but it's exotic for most people. But it's just delightful. Um, it's it's so unique, and and there's and and, it, and the culture is very easygoing. I think because it's so it gets so hot here, <laughs> you know, especially in the summer, it is so hot. So it's in that sense, it's like a, a lazy southern town where you know we're just not in a big hurry to get stuff done. Uh, but we we routinely get together with our neighbors. We you know we walk around. We we go hang out, and someone will say, "Hey, Reverend Bean, come on up and have a beer with us." And we just do. We just kind of hang out, and it it really is kind of um, in a sense, it's kind of like um, Mayberry, but only with gumbo and jambalaya and crawfish and stuff like that. <laughs> that sounds really fantastic. Let's come at this from a little bit of a different angle. You've already started to do this, but Say more about what you would say are the best things about Gretna. Well, again, you know, we we live in a place where people go when they go on vacation. You know, so we're we're kind of surrounded by uh, it, it. You know, uh, it, it's it's almost like. Um, it, the, the the culture, the environment, the food, it's almost like being on vacation all the time in a way. Of course, we have to work. Uh, that's the only uh, the only part that's not like a, a being on vacation. But um, the the proximity to other other you know other things like um, if we can drive ten minutes and we're in the swamp, you know we're in the bayou, you know literally surrounded by cypress trees and alligators, or you can drive ten minutes another direction and you're in downtown New Orleans. Um, you, you know, it's, um, it, it's, it's, 
it, it and it's very neighborhood oriented too. So you know, I live in, an, in what's called Old Gretna. It's a historic old neighborhood, but you know, a, a few minutes drive and you're in a different neighborhood. Um, the city of New Orleans is like a, a patchwork itself of various different kinds of neighborhoods with different cultures. But uh, uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of civic activities here. There's always there's always something to do. There, you know, of course, COVID has kind of uh, taken that away from us this year. But under normal circumstances, I mean, there's always a festival. There's there's some some kind of music festival. There's some kind of food festival. There's some kind of activity going on, and it's and it's really more of an excuse uh, to get together with your neighbors and your family members. Most people around here are related to each other, and even though we're not. Uh, when you're clergy, you're always kind of an outsider, typically, unless you serve where you grew up. Uh, but they've embraced us as part of their own families. I mean, in a very literal sense, we're just considered part of the family. Um, but, uh, you know, we have things, and that's like I mentioned, Mardi Gras um, uh, is another example where people, entire neighborhoods get together and and just have fun and, and enjoy uh, one another's company. So I think culturally speaking, um, the, the really the best part is that uh, that sense of belonging. Um, nobody's an outsider. Uh, nobody is excluded. Um, we just we just get together with everybody, and and you know it means everybody. You have you know kind of eccentric characters, and you just don't bat an eye at it. You just everyone just sort of gets along, and um, it's a very laissez-faire kind of uh, hey, let's get together and have a good time, and 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 people do take care of each other too when there's a tragedy or when you know when we go through something like a hurricane together, people roll up their sleeves and, and help each other out. Um, culturally speaking, that's not always, that's not always the case in every place that I've lived. I, f- I find that it, th- that is just a unique, it's unique to this area, at least in my experience. That makes sense. So now let's talk about the flip side. What are some of the most challenging things about being in Gretna? Well, for uh, for me and for uh, for my family, the, the the one difficulty is our distance from from family. Um, you know, travel is expensive, and uh, my dad lives in Ohio. My wife's family is from Ottawa, Canada. When we lived up north, we we saw family a lot. We drove. Um, we would go and and see family very often, but now we hardly ever do. Um, the real, the real challenging thing, and really the only downside that I can really think of to living here is the hurricanes. Um, hurricane season runs from June 1st to November 30th. The really bad part of it, where there's a lot, it's very stressful, and we really have to prepare and be um, be ready to evacuate at any time, is really August and September. That's really the high point of the season when the Gulf waters are the hottest. Where, you know, so, you know, a category one, nobody bats an eye, a category one hurricane, meh, you know, category two, we start to raise an eyebrow, but if we see a three or a four is coming, we get nervous, you know, especially since hurricane Katrina, which, uh, which, uh, we went through with my, you know, only a year after we moved here. So, um, the hurricane season, you know, it's, it's funny when you live here, um, everybody knows like the terminology. It's like, we're all like amateur meteorologists and, uh, you know, we have apps on our phone to track hurricanes and, you know, that we, we wait eagerly for the next update from the national hurricane center. You get an update every three hours when there's one in the Gulf and we're, you know, we're looking at the, the cone, you know, uh, and, and did, did, did it shift, you know, two miles to the east or two miles to the west and then everybody speculates where the where the storm is going to hit so it's it's that can be very stressful and if you do have to evacuate you know especially if you have animals uh you know it's 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 tough it's it's a difficult thing um we had an active season this year we actually hit got a direct hit from a category two um pretty about a month ago really it was pretty late in the season and we were in the eye wall which was really wild we've never experienced that before um we we had a hurricane the winds were coming east to west and then it stopped 
and we all, all the neighbors just, we all went outside at the same time and looked up at the sky. It was blue and, uh, we knew the rest was coming, but we went and hung out and checked on our neighbors. How y'all doing? How you make out everything good. And then we felt the wind start from the West and we all hunkered down, batting down the hatches for the next round. Um, but, uh, yeah, like I said, though, we, we kind of, uh, we just accept that as part of our life. That's just something that we live with and we, we try to take care of each other as best we can. And, um, where I live specifically, my house is a historic, uh, little shotgun house. It's very small, but it's solid wood. There's no studs. Uh, it's cypress wood. So, um, it's, <laughs> my house has been here well over a hundred years. It's been through all the big hurricanes. And so we're pretty, uh, we're pretty safe, uh, at least in our, our house. Fantastic. Let's go back to Katrina for just a moment. At this point, it's been, I guess, 15 years. 15 years, yes. Which is remarkable to me because it had <laughs> such a big impression on me at the time. Is there still – does Katrina still affect the day-to-day – well, not the day-to-day, but are the effects of Katrina still seen or is the city pretty much healed from that particular hurricane at this point? There are a few areas of the city that really did not come back, but they're very few. Um, just certain neighborhoods that, um, uh, and, you know, for, for many years after the storm, you would see houses, uh, that were, that were still in a state of disrepair with the, with the paint on them, the, the authorities would come through and paint a big X on the house when they examined it and they would spray paint how many people dead that they found or what have you. And for, you know, for a long time, for many years, you would still see that and you would see water lines, you know, when the, where the, where the water was on buildings and houses, but it's really life pretty much after about five years, everything pretty much got back to normal. Um, I'd say the, the biggest thing are the long-term changes. Like my own church, we had a school and, uh, we were, we had a pretty good, pretty large turnout of people in church. But after the storm, after Katrina in particular, a lot of people just said, you know what, uh, this is just too much. We, we, we're going to, we're going to head up North, North of the lake, or, you know, we're going to look for drier ground. And, and so we did lose a lot of families, a lot of people over, you know, over the course of years, cause you have to find a job, you got to find a house and whatnot. People didn't just like leave all at once, but our church became much, much smaller. We had to close our parochial school. Um, so those kind of effects were, you know, kind of, um, uh, permanent and life changing, although they weren't, you know, it wasn't sudden, it was kind of a, a shift hmm. and we're still living the effects of it. And psychologically, you know, it's, I think people are now starting to calm down a little, but right after Katrina, you know, as soon as, if there was a tropical disturbance off the coast of Africa, you know, people were panicking. They're saying, oh my gosh, you know, I've got, we, we got to start me. They really did. They kind of overreacted in a way because before Katrina, people said, uh, we're not leaving. I was, I, I, we went through Camille and Betsy. We're not leaving. And then when Katrina happened, you know, a lot of people said we should have left, <laughs> you know? So, um, but it, like you said, it's now been 15 years and I think, um, we've reached more of a state of balance now. Um, but our emergency systems are much better coordinated now. I mean, they learned a lot of lessons at Katrina. So, you know, our, our various levels of government and police and, and EMTs and fire companies, we all communicate better with each other. Now we have much better plans for evacuation. They really did fix the levy system that was broken in the city. And, the, you know, the, so it's, it's much, much better now. Um, so we're, it's, it's sort of like there were a lot of lessons learned in a way, but as, as far as, you know, the, uh, the, the, the negative effects of the hurricanes, those are pretty much, we've outlasted them, I guess is a good way to put it. That's good. Let's go on and talk about what it's like to be Lutheran there. You've mentioned this Creole culture that's not quite Southeastern, but it's its own thing. How does Lutheranism fit into that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, most mostly in the Deep South, we call it the Bible Belt or the Baptist Belt, um, but we're not part of that. Again, we're kind of this island of, it's a unique, culturally unique area. We are heavily Roman Catholic, and our, um, in fact, the Roman Catholic ethos is so strong here. I thought this was amusing. Um, we had an LCMS youth gathering in New Orleans, and the poster for the LCMS 
youth gathering featured the Roman Catholic Cathedral in, uh, in, in downtown New Orleans, St. Louis Cathedral. I mean, it's so iconic. St. Louis Cathedral is such a, an iconic image of New Orleans that they, you know, you can't escape it. So um, people around here are, are overwhelmingly Roman Catholic. They identify, they'll, you know, when they meet each other, what parish are you from? What, you know, um, where did you go to high school? Because everybody went to a Roman Catholic high school pretty much. And so being a Lutheran, here, in a sense, it's it's kind of good because, uh, especially, we're a liturgical congregation, um, and uh, people are if they visit our church or if they if they come. So I, I do have some some people who have uh, come over from the Roman Catholic Church. They are comfortable here because it's the same liturgy. Um, the you know we we we're kind of a high church congregation, I guess. Um, you know, by by comparison with other. LCMS churches, but we're very liturgical and traditional, and um, and and so Roman Catholics. It's sometimes they'll visit and they'll say, "Well, y'all are more Catholic than we are," you know. And um, I had a I had a funeral uh, one time for a, a wonderful beloved member. He was 93 years old. We all called him Uncle Buddy. I don't think I learned his real name until after he died, but uh, we called him Uncle Buddy. And uh, his son actually became a Roman Catholic priest, and so at his funeral we had some Roman Catholic clergy who were who were visiting, and they were just uh, they were delighted at our liturgy. They they kind of whispered to me, "I wish our liturgy looked like uh, like yours," um, because of course the Lutheran liturgy is the more of the old-fashioned uh, Catholic liturgy as opposed to the um, the the uh, the Vatican II kind of liturgy. So we um, it, it's. It's really good in that sense. It's also challenging for evangelism because um, even people who are quote-unquote unchurched, they identify as Roman Catholic because their grandma was a Roman Catholic or their mother or father, or they were baptized as a Roman Catholic and had never set foot in a church. And, but you see, they, they identify so strongly with that, and it's a cultural thing. It's like, well, I went to, you know, I I, I went to um, you know, Brother Martin High School, or um, I went to Dominican High School, and and they they ha- even if they never set foot in church or never really practice the faith, they see themselves as culturally Catholic, and they, and that precludes them from becoming Lutherans in most cases, um, even if they would, um, you know, even if they kind of believe what we believe more so than Catholicism. Uh, so that's a that's a real challenge, but. Uh, one thing that's nice for me is there's a great respect for the clergy. Uh, so if I'm, you know, if I'm wearing my my clerical collar, uh, people are very friendly. Uh, I know that's probably a different experience in your part of the country, um, but in our part of the country, it's it's really nice. Uh, people will sometimes people will come up to me on the street and ask me to pray for them, or you know, ask for a blessing. Um, and uh, I, like for instance, I serve on. Um, I serve as our fire chaplain. I, I, we have two fire chaplains, myself and the Roman Catholic priest. We get along great. We serve together for the David Crockett Volunteer Fire Company. We're the oldest volunteer company, the continuously, um, oldest continuously active volunteer fire company in the nation. We've been on duty since July 1st, 1841. We've never been off duty since then throughout wars, hurricanes, you know, everything. And uh, so, but I mean, um, I've been now the... I've been serving uh, as fire chaplain for 10 years this coming year. It'll be my 10th, uh, 10th year. And um, again, uh, they, they know I'm a Lutheran pastor, but they, they, they see the collar. They, they, they understand that we are very, very close um, historically and in some ways theologically. So they, so they, I'm, I'm treated very, very well uh, by people in our community. Like I said, they just really rallied around us as, even though my wife and I weren't born here, we don't have uh, a pedigree here, but they, they feel a sense that we are sort of, sometimes it's almost like I'm Gretna's pastor because I'll walk down the street, people honk at me, they wave at me. I mean, it's, um, they, there's a sense of, of genuine love towards me and, and my wife, my family, because of, uh, because of that connection with the church. So it's, it's a paradox. We're not Roman Catholic, but they, they see us almost as um, 
part of the Roman Catholic Church in a way. Um, sort of, you're uh, the parish priest kind of thing. In in a sense, yeah, in a sense, and they they understand the the like I said the the historical closeness, the theological areas where we have agreement, and um, they don't see me as an outsider at all. But um, so it's it's an interesting place to be a Lutheran pastor, and it's an interesting place for our uh, for our congregation as well. I mean, our congregation has been there since 1871, and wow. uh, same location. I mean, we have different build. We have a nine. Our, our this is the third building, the 1950 building, but historically speaking, you know, Gretna was founded by Germans, and so we have, you know, a lot. We have a, a our church, um, Salem Lutheran Church, and St. Joseph's Roman Catholic Church are sort of the pillars of the Christian community, historically speaking, in Gretna. So there's a lot of gravitas by uh, that's associated with our parish. Yeah, that makes sense. I want to ask you about something from a, a different part of the country. When I interviewed Pastor Rojas, he's in Orlando, he mentioned that it seemed to him like there was a lot kind of with the... Um, I guess you would call it the sort of more southern kind of tropical kind of live and let live that there was, a, at least in the Roman Catholic churches around him in Florida, it seemed like there was a lot of kind of uh, liturgical and theological decay. It sounds like New Orleans is just a completely different thing and that you don't see that as much in, in your area. Is, is that accurate? Yes, I think that's a that's a, a fair reading. Um, I've been to St. Joseph's, which is, I mean, I, I actually probably live a little bit closer. I, I'm a block and a half from my church. Maybe I'm two blocks from St. Joseph's, a walk. Um, and for instance, St. Joseph's has a carol on, and they're all constantly playing hymns. It's it's awesome. And and it's really cool because in, in October, they play a mighty fortress on the carol on quite often. Um, but uh, but like I said, I'm friends with the with the priest there. Uh, he's a He's a very faithful guy. Um, the congregation loves him, and you know, occasionally I have to go to a funeral or some function at St. Joseph's Catholic Church, and they're liturgically pretty good. I mean, you know, it's it's a it's not a you know it's not a Tridentine Latin Mass community, but uh, they do incorporate uh, some Latin here to here and there in the service. The service is very traditional. Um, and, and it's, um, so you don't have, a, at least in, in Gretna, in our small community, uh, it's a, it's somewhat a very conservative traditional community. You don't have a lot of sort of nonsense going on, uh, liturgically. It's, it's, it's just your, your sort of traditional, uh, Roman Catholic mass. Um, and, uh, so it's, I think that, I think that's accurate. I think the experience, if you were, a, um, I know I, I'm friends with people who are Catholics in, in, in the South, and it is a challenge for them in, in the same sense that it's kind of a challenge for, for a lot of Lutherans in the Deep South. But, but again, my situation is different because I'm not really – I'm surrounded more by Roman Catholics than Protestants than evangelicals. I see. Let's take a moment for a word from our sponsor. Thank you so much for a great 2020 and for listening to The Lutheran Cartographer. It's been a great year. I've learned a lot of things about podcasting, and I'm sure you have some feedback for me as well, good and bad. I would appreciate it if you take a few moments of your time to go to lutherancartographer.com slash 2020 survey to let me know what you liked and what you didn't. And be sure and vote for your favorite episode as well. Thank you. Again, that's lutherancartographer.com slash 2020 survey. Thank you again. All right, so now let's go on and talk about what it's like to raise a family there. What's been your experience, your congregation's experience about how it is to raise a family? It's it really is wonderful, especially here in in Gretna itself. Um, one one of the things that's that does contrast with New Orleans, um, we have almost zero crime here, which is re especially in the um, the the historic section that I live in. Um, you know, I'm kind of a night owl, so if I'm, I, I live a block and a half from the church, and if I want to go at midnight and pick up a book from my office, uh, you know, I just have to go get that book because I'm writing something. I think absolutely nothing of it. I just go out the front door, I walk. You can walk anywhere at night. Um, like I said, the police station is just uh, up the road. Uh, the fire company's just up the road. It's a very safe 
environment in that sense. And so children are not, uh, you know, they, there's some children in our neighborhood and they play with each other and they run around and, and every, you know, they, everyone knows them. So it's, it's a great place to be a kid. Um, and, and like I said, it's very, it's, it's very safe. So parents are, you know, feel a sense of security. Um, it's, you know, and it's, it, it, again, it's a very traditional kind of, in terms of morals and ethics, it's, it's a very traditional Christian, uh, environment here. Like our, our city still has a nativity. Uh, we had a, we just, a couple of days ago, we had a living nativity and one of the area pastors it was actually a area, a Baptist pastor, um, narrated and read from the scriptures and there were hymns um, our annual tree lighting usually um, father gary my friend the roman catholic priest um, he borrows a mitre from the archdiocese and he portrays saint nicholas and one of the councilman's wives reads the christmas account from a luke's gospel and so it's like it's like openly christian i'm, I'm just waiting for the aclu to step in and you know start bullying us but um, our, our the ethos here is overwhelmingly Christian and it's very traditional in terms of values in terms of um, again we you know the, the crime is just not tolerated here we have wonderful police um, and uh, and it's it's just a uh, it's it's like a in a sense like a small town you know, an island, sort of an island of a small town feel, um, even though architecturally, culturally, linguistically, everything is, screams New Orleans when you walk around. It just looks like we're part of New Orleans. But unfortunately, the city of New Orleans has grown very violent and uh, crime is out of control and the infrastructure is really terrible. Um, uh, driving in, in the city of New Orleans is a challenge because the streets literally look like the moon. Um, but it's different. Like I said, here in Gretna, we have more a more uh, sense of responsibility to our neighborhoods, and our government f- feels a sense of responsibility here. And and it's just it it translates to a much more family friendly environment to grow up in. So it sounds like then Gretna is quite different in terms of what you can expect than the New Orleans itself then. Well, it's that's that's a little bit um, that would be a little bit uh, uh, o- an overstatement, I think, in the sense that New Orleans itself is a patchwork of of neighborhoods. So I don't know everything about every neighborhood in the city. Um, I drove Uber for a few years, and I, so I've seen a good bit of the city. And most of it, to be honest with you, I just wouldn't want to live there. Um, uh, it wouldn't be uh, safe. Um, there, I know there are places that there are though. Um, there are places, you know, I have friends who live in the city, they love it. Um, and, uh, uh, it, it used to be a lot better to raise a family. I had, I have had parishioners who grew up in the French quarter, like when they were kids, they, they lived there. It was, it wasn't touristy the way it is now. Um, it was actually a vibrant, neighborhood where people did grow up and, and people did raise families there. So, but, uh, but speaking what I know, uh, just from being here now, uh, I've lived in Gretna since 07 and, um, and I've, I've been a pastor here since 05. I, I, my, I got my call to serve at Salem in 05 and, um, it's, it's just a, a tremendous place, uh, for, for children to grow up. And, and what's nice too, is they tend not to move away. Um, you know, you have, generations of people here. Um, it's, I joke about it because my congregation, it, what I could probably do is, is draw a, a family tree and show where everybody in the congregation, except for me and my wife, everybody in the congregation is related. You know, everybody comes from the same sort of stock families that moved to Gretna in the 1800s. And there's a real sense of belonging um, and, but, you know, like I said, it even, you know, if somebody moves here from the outside, they're not excluded. It's like, oh, y- y'all become part of the, you're part of the family now too. Um, it's really cool. I love that aspect of, of living here. That is really great. What are the educational options for parents that don't want to go and use the government schools? Yes, this is a big deal here because, unfortunately, um, Louisiana and Mississippi are perennially in a competition to see who can be in last place in terms of public schools. (laughs) So, um, 
Now, this is one area where the Roman Catholic uh, identity of <clears throat> this area is really uh, strongly felt, because I think the statistic is uh, it's more than 50 percent of people in the New Orleans area send their children to parochial or private schools um, because the public schools are just not, they're failing. They're just not very good. I mean, they're making some efforts with some charter schools and things, but they're still, they're just not very good. And so there's a strong parochial school emphasis. um, Although, like I said, our, our parochial school, we had to close it I know some of the uh, some of the Catholic schools um, had to close after Katrina as well. That was very traumatic, by the way. Uh, they had to close some churches, in fact. But um, but the way things have kind of settled out, um, the Roman Catholic um, parochial school system is very strong. Uh, we do have some private schools. There are some Protestant schools as well. Uh, we do have. Uh, a, a Lutheran school in the area, which is kind of a weird hybrid leftover. Um, it was a church. Um, it was a church that was a spinoff of my congregation many years ago, and then they left during the Seminex controversy. So there's a, a Lutheran school over there on the other. It's 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 on the West Bank, but it's not in Gretna. But it's um, it's a kind of a joint ELCA LCMS. Um, uh, operation, which is a very strange, th- very strange thing, but it's kind of just a leftover from the from the way the history worked out. Um, so educationally, it, it is kind of a challenge, and it's something that people have to budget for. Um, especially the Catholic schools, they're not cheap. I'll tell you that's and and people really it it does cause you know a lot. Mostly mothers have to work. Uh, to pay the tuitions, um, the high schools are very, very expensive. Um, but they're they're very. The Roman Catholic high schools have a wonderful reputation, um, but uh, the public schools are a, they're a real challenge for people that that can't afford uh, private education. I see. Let's go on and talk about what you would do if you had a friend coming into town and you said, ah, you got to go check out these things, whether it's restaurants, things to do. What would you highlight in if a visitor is coming into town. Oh, and we love to do this, by the way. So if anybody's listening to this podcast, if you want to go on vacation, you want to come visit us, please come and visit us. We love having visitors. We've had Lutherans from from all over the country come and visit us. We've had you know a lot of my colleagues and classmates and their families and parishioners have come. And uh, sometimes we have parishioners that will put them up for the night. Um, we've had visitors from Russia come and uh, several times and stay, but uh, so we love to show people around. And I mean, there's a lot, there's just a lot to do and see. Um, our city of Gretna, we have a farmers market every Saturday, just like two blocks from my house. Uh, again, and ju- about the same distance, we have our uh, German American Cultural Center and museum. It's a, it's this magnificent little museum um, for German heritage. Um, there's also like a genealogy center there where people can go and, and do genealogical research. Uh, we've got our old firehouse just a few blocks from here, walking distance. Uh, from the, uh, the, the, the old firehouse, it was the David Crockett Fire Company, and it has our old pumper, which is a horse-drawn, um, steam-operated fire apparatus. There's very few of them left in the country, and uh, it's from the 1870s era. And this one has been here all that time. And so it's over there. You can go see it. We have a historical complex with old historical uh, buildings with a working blacksmith shop. I mean, we have classes. Like, If you want to learn to be a blacksmith, you can take classes. They're free. You can just show up and learn how to do it. Um, we have a really vibrant historical society. You know, a lot of a lot of people, I tell them, I'm going to the historical society meeting, and people roll their eyes. It just sounds boring. But... We'll have like well over 100 people attending our historical society. There's always food. There's always drinks. There's, you know, it's just fun and joy. And it's just, it's really awesome. Um, In September or October, we have an annual uh, heritage festival, which it's a funny name, but it's really a music festival. They're like downtown Gretna transforms very quickly. Um, It it's, it gets cordoned off, and, and there are seven stages along all over the, the historic part of Gretna, and you have about 100,000 people come to our city 
uh, for that weekend. <clears throat> we have great uh, music uh, at the at the historical at the Heritage Fest. We have like um, I got to see Joe Cocker before he died. I mean, it was really cool. I was like almost right on the stage, and I got to see Joe Cocker. You know, Leonard Skinner, Charlie Daniels, Chicago, Starship, all these big headliners, and then lots of local music, local talent, carnival rides and booths and with food, and it's a it's a wonderful wonderful experience. I mean, we didn't get to do it this year, of course. We're hoping for next year. Um, but just the day-to-day aspect of living in Gretna, we've got great restaurants here. Um, of course, we, we have that cultural spillover from New Orleans. We've got two really magnificent Thai restaurants. We've got a vibrant Vietnamese community in the area. So we have great Vietnamese food, if you like pho and, um, and that kind of thing. We've, we've got like a, just across the street, I've got this rolled ice cream place. We've got... Um, pubs, you know, like neighborhood pubs where you can get really good Louisiana food. So we, we're never, we're never hungry. You know, we're never at a loss. Um, our downtown has been re, uh, re, revitalized and, uh, you know, you can like, we can walk over to the levee and watch the sunset on the Mississippi river. And you can see the city of new Orleans on the river and, um, and people, they go biking on the, on the levee, they go running, walking. We have an amphitheater. You just hang out. Um, and, and everybody knows everybody. So it's really cool. It's really safe. Um, and it, you know, if you want to go to new Orleans, we're a 10 minute drive to the national world war II museum downtown. I can get in my car in 10 minutes. I'm there. Uh, you can see anything you want to see in the city and, and our world war II museum is really magnificent. It's like the third best museum in the country. Um, it's right up there with the Smithsonian's. Uh, so it's, 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 it's just one of those things you have to go see at some point in your life, go to the world war II museum in new Orleans. And I mentioned, we have a lot of state parks. Um, if you want to get away from the city, you know, just a few minute drive, you're, you're on the bayou, you can, you can take an airboat ride, you can see eight foot alligators, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's, there's, there's, when, the only problem when we have visitors come and see us is we run out of stuff to do and we run out of time and we tell them, oh, you got to come back now. Uh, you know, we've got so much more stuff that we want to show you. But it's, um, it really is, um, we, we do, and, and one thing is like we do have a tradition of hospitality. So when people do visit, um, we show them a good time. We make sure they're well fed and, uh, and, and we, uh, we, we just enjoy company of other people, especially when other Lutherans come to see us. Cause we, we really feel like we're one big family, uh, especially, you know, in the LCMS, it's a small world in the LCMS and, you know, I know your pastor and he knows me and, um, we, I, I know, you know, uh, typically when someone visits, I oftentimes do know their pastor and, and, um, and we have, you know, family members that know each other. People went to school together. So, uh, so consider this an invitation, y'all, if you want to come, have a good time and hang out with us. Maybe after the, after all the COVID stuff, uh, if it does, uh, go away, uh, there, there'll be, there'll be a lot to do and see. Yeah, absolutely. I want to back up to something you said earlier. I, and I understand that this is somewhat akin to asking someone what their favorite hymn is. But if you had to <laughs> if you had to say like one or two like particular restaurants to go to, what would you say? We just went to this Thai restaurant. It's actually a converted house. Um, it's an old shotgun house that they converted into this restaurant, and it was so good. It's called uh, Tai De Jing, and um, it's like it's nestled in the neighborhood. It's just surrounded by houses, um, and and you can walk to it. Uh, you can drive if you want, and um, you know, in fact, one of our one of our friends in the community was working as a waitress there. We didn't know she was working there, but the the food is just. Um, I mean, it's like gourmet level food, and it's not not real expensive. It's 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 just outstanding. Um, also, um, we have um, I'm trying to think of the um, what I would what I would highly recommend if you like pizza. Believe it or not, we have a fantastic uh, pizza restaurant. It's actually run by a Vietnamese family. They're like a family of genius um, uh, restaurateurs. And uh, it's called Huey P's, named after our controversial governor, Huey P. Long, because Huey P. Long Avenue runs up and down. The, it's like the main street in the city of Gretna. And uh, so that's a, 
Um, that is, you can get any kind of pizza that you want. And of course they have lots of drinks that go along with that. Uh, it's just a very fun, informal, uh, place, but the quality of the food is just, uh, beyond belief. And, um, so, and, and there are a lot, there are many others as well. There's a Gattuso's, which is a little neighborhood pub that we go to quite often. And the food is just, um, you, you wouldn't expect it to be so good because it just, it's, it's, it's not a dive by any means. It's a nice place, but it's a small neighborhood, little, uh, a very small neighborhood place. But the food is just really, really good. It's authentic Louisiana fare, and um, and and so uh, there's there's a lot of them. So I could go on and on, but but uh, those I, I think I would identify those as sort of uh, what I would kind of highlight right now. Fantastic. Thank you for highlighting those for us. Before we get into our closing questions, I want to ask you about a recent article that you wrote for Gottesdienst. One of the one of my friends and a listener of this show forwarded me your article where you were talking about the need for courage and manliness as we face our current day. Elaborate a little bit more about that and tell us a little bit about what you think we should be looking for in terms of going forward at this point. Yeah, this is so important. Um just in the just in the, the 16 years I've served in the ministry, I've, we've seen tremendous cultural changes and challenges, and really it all gets it all comes down to the family, and we really need men to step up and be the leaders of their family, the spiritual leaders, the cultural leaders, you know, just just um, we we really need young men to learn how to be comfortable in their manhood, you know, how to step into the boots and, and take leadership of the family. Um, it's, 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 you know, I'm 56 years old. I'm almost 57. And, um, the, the, the cultural difference between someone my age and someone who, a man who's 30 years old is it's a chasm. I mean, it's a gulf. The, the, the constant berating of masculinity, is um, it's a very bad thing. It's a very unhealthy thing for our families because strong men who who are good leaders are ultimately they are going to be very gentle with their children. They're going to be um, uh, you know they're going to take care of their wife in in, in the way that uh, that uh, meeting all of her needs in the family and. F- Strong families means a strong country. It means a strong church. And that that burden of leadership really falls, you know, scripturally speaking and psychologically script, you know, speaking, uh, anthropologically speaking, a lot of that falls on the shoulder of the husband and of the father, of the man. Um, and, and, it, and that formation, I think, begins, you know, for young men. It begins with the way we raise our sons. It begins with um, how we treat our young men in the church. Um, it's really, really important that we try to get young men engaged at a, at a younger age um, to be leaders in the church and to be leaders in society. And it's it kind of runs contrary to the culture because it is countercultural because the emphasis is on girl power and and making girls leaders and look and that's of course we want we want strong girls as well but not at the expense of our young men um, because god has given us unique uh, vocations within family life and and i think we we're, we're living in a time that it's that there's a, a concerted effort to bring chaos to that and to try to blur those lines and to try to we want our girls to be boys and our boys to be girls and and we want everybody to just sort of be the same and that's not how it works uh, god created us with these differences um that that you know Men bring something to the table, women bring something to the table, and that synergy of male and female working together as God designed them to work, um, is th- there is such power in that and such power to heal our culture, to, uh, to, um, to, to heal our country, to, to bring people together and to, uh, to, to live life as it was meant to be lived. A lot of that potentiality is built into the roles that we have as men and women. So I think it's really, really something that we've got to pay more attention to. Definitely. And thank you so much for elaborating more on that. I want to back up a bit and ask you about how we can go about doing this in our churches. And the reason I ask is, as you know, the orientation of the LCMS is conservative. But unfortunately, conservatism is often just 
not principled, but 40 years behind whatever the progressive (laughs) wants to do right now. So for example, (laughs) 20s feminism, the feminism of um, uh, suffrage is taken for granted in our churches. And the 60s feminism of the sexual revolution, unfortunately, has its toehold as well. So how can we go about as in conservative churches that are conservative in the sense of that 20, 40, 60 years behind, how can we go about making those changes? Yeah, you're, you raise a good point because we seem to be fighting battles, um, you know, looking backwards instead of being where we are right now. Or um, even, even more than just fighting those battles, just accepting what, what has already come before that perhaps sowed the seeds for the bad things that we're seeing the fruits of now. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is. It's a huge challenge. We are in the world, but not of the world. But I I really think it's a kind of a getting back to the fundamentals, back to the basics. Um, You know, when the when the when the uh, when the basketball team is losing, the new coach comes in and he says, "Okay, we're going to focus on fundamentals. And the guys, you know, have to do basic things like bounce passes with each other and stuff like that. So, you know, really what we really need, what we need our fathers to to, to lead devotions in your family, like learn how to do that. And you can, you know, fathers can begin, it sounds daunting, but look, learn the table prayer and lead your family in the table prayer and just do that. You know, just do that. Start there. And then your family starts to see you as dad, as being, oh, well, this dad leads us in prayers. Um, dad should be the one making sure the family makes it to church. Dad should not be sleeping in and mom has to bring all the kids to church. Dad is dropping the ball when that happens. What dad needs to do, dad needs to say, look, family, we go to church on Sunday. That's just what we do. Okay, so get dressed, you know, get ready, and we're going to church. That's what we're going to do. And 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 parent, uh, children should see their parents worshiping. They should come to the communion rail, and they should see mom and dad reverently receiving the Lord's Supper and, and seeing coming to church as a priority. It doesn't mean oh, well, there's no football game today, so I guess we'll go to church. Um, that p- children will pick up on that hypocrisy. Um, they, what, they, they don't learn what you say. They learn what you do. And so I really think what we need of both parents, mothers and fathers, to lead their children, bring them to church, um, f- figure out how to do family devotions. They can, Like I said, as simple as the morning prayer, uh, Luther's morning prayer, Luther's evening prayer, the table prayer. Um, and especially for dad to sort of take that leadership. Um, that's one really basic thing. And I think also it's important that, that children learn that their, that their being in church is, of course, we're, we go to church to receive the gifts. But when you're in church, you're actually serving your neighbor as well. Because if you're not there, that's an empty spot in the pew. And that and, and we find our strength as Christians in the flock, seeing lots of people in the church singing together, vibrantly being there for one another. And so I think I think we need to um, develop uh, more of a sense of the table of duties kind of approach that look, this is your this is your vocation, whether you're a child, whether you're a grown up. You need to come to worship. Um, you need to be involved in the church. If there's something you can do to volunteer, um, it, it, and I think it's I think it's a very noble thing to to, to get our daughters to say, hey, um, why don't you help the altar guild? This is a noble and honorable feminine uh, way of serving, and for our sons to serve as acolytes, for instance. You know, when we see, when our boys see that, you know, wearing a, 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 some kind of a lacy white garment is not feminine, that's masculine. When they're with the pastor, he's got like, you know what I mean? Um, it's, it, I think it's important for, the, for our young men to understand that the pastoral role is a masculine role and they can be, they can assist in that in the chancel, wearing vestments with the pastor, praying with the pastor, helping to lead the service with the clergy. Um, I think these are these are important things, and, and again, our culture is we want we want girls to be acolytes, we want boys to not be up front. We it's it, it, there's this cultural pressure yeah. uh, to downplay the masculine and to and to turn our little girls into boys. Um, when I was on my vicarage, we had um, 
the, the congregation required all confirmands to serve as acolytes. And one year we had a boy and a girl who were our students. Uh, I was helping teach confirmation. And the little girl really did not want to put on the alb and, and go sit with the pastor for the, for the uh, uh, service. She actually asked to be on the altar guild instead, and the pastor wouldn't let her do it. Uh, because that's not how they did it there. And I thought that was, uh, you know, uh, obviously I was a vicar at the time. It wasn't my place, but I'm not the vicar anymore. I'm a pastor now, and it is my place. That was wrong. Um, There's nothing wrong with uh, encouraging young women to embrace their femininity and the traditional roles associated with femininity. That's not shameful or wrong, and it's not shameful or wrong for a boy to aspire to serve you know, in a in a masculine role with the with the pastor, with the elders, with the clergy, um, that we we have got to get away from this idea of thinking that we have to think like the world. We don't. We're we're not the world. We are we are the church, and we embrace those um, vocations that God has given us, including the vocation of of men and women and of boys and girls. Absolutely. Now, before we start and ask our final questions, I want to make sure to give you the opportunity to point our listeners where you would like. Your church's website, places to follow you online, where would you like to point our listeners? <laughs> we need to get a website. We don't actually have one. We have a Facebook page. <clears throat> it's um, Salem Lutheran Church LCMS Gretna or something like that. I mean, if you look for it on Facebook, you'll find it. Um, but unfortunately, we don't update it a whole lot. Uh, we, we probably should. But what we really do need, and it's on, our, it's on my agenda, it's my list of things I need to do, uh, we need to get a church uh, website. It's just something that kind of fell through the cracks when our, when our school closed. Um, that, that element was, that, that technology thing was handled by people on the school side of the ledger. We had a, we had a church and school website at that time. But since, the, since our school closed, we haven't had a website. So um, I would encourage you to, um, uh, to you can look for us there. Um, if you want to come and see us, you know, like I said, you can find me on, uh, on Facebook. You send me a message. Um, you, uh, we're also in, um, in the LCMS directory online. So if, you, if you're an LCMS member, you can go to the LCMS's website. Or if you Google LCMS directories, and it'll it'll pop up with a directory like you can plug in a city and you can find contact information for churches and pastors so um, people can do that as well and I, I love getting texts and messages and phone calls from people um, I'm uh, like I said we, we really love having visitors it's a great joy for us to host visitors um, sometimes people come to New Orleans for a convention or a vacation or something and they will pop in and visit with us and we, we absolutely love uh, when they when when people are able to do that, so um, I, I wish I had a better answer for you. Maybe next time you bring me on, and, and I'll have a website for you. Alrighty, sounds good. And you listeners, you can find links to all those things that Pastor Bean just mentioned, as well as all the wonderful things that he mentioned that you can check out if you're visiting. That'll be at lutheran.cartographer.com/slash fifty-five. Pastor Bean, thank you for your time today. What are your parting thoughts for our listeners? Well, uh, first of all, Nicholas, I want to thank you for not only this interview, but for your series that you're doing. I think it's awesome. I mean, I think it's it's really great for us as Lutherans to understand that we are all over the country, we're all over the world, and you know, we we should think of ourselves as family. So if you're you know if you're out going out of town somewhere, look up the local Lutheran congregation, look up the local Lutheran pastor, try to go to church if you can, when you're on vacation. Um, and and what I've found a lot of times is you know if you if you do that, you might even you know instead of staying in a hotel, you might stay with some fellow Lutherans. Uh, family might uh, might host you. And um, and and we I think we really do need to to explore that that level of hospitality that that we should have with each other and i know there's actually a lutheran bnb uh, like an airbnb knockoff there's a lutheran bnb out there you can google it and find it and and they they kind of operate by um by internet and word of mouth and that sort of thing. But uh, I think what you're doing is, is an awesome thing. And, and I, I really do uh, encourage people to come visit us. Um, we have parishioners who have uh, put people up us uh, and, you know, and, and, and uh, when they're, when, when health uh, allows, you know, when, when we have, 
uh, people who are uh, healthy and able to host uh, visitors. We oftentimes do. Sometimes people come and stay. They want to stay in a hotel in the French Quarter, but they come and visit us or hang out. Um, we encourage people to do that and, and, and also to go all over the country and find find your fellow Lutherans. And it's, it's also really important for the sake of our young people. You know, we want our Lutheran young men and young women to marry each other and stay within uh, within the faith. So uh, it's I think those relationships are, are really really important uh, now more than ever. And so I think your your idea of of running this podcast is really a big part of of how we can facilitate those relationships and those introductions. Absolutely. Thank you again. God's peace. You too, Nicholas. Thank you. Peace be with you. Thanks for listening to The Lutheran Cartographer. For more about the things that we talked about today, including a link to Pastor Bean's article that we discussed near the end of the podcast, find all that good stuff at lutherancartographer.com slash 55. You'll find the show notes there. I want to encourage you to take a moment and fill out the survey on 2020 and the Lutheran Cartographer. It's always helpful to me to hear feedback, good and bad, as to what you liked and what you think could be improved, as well as vote on your favorite episode of the year. You can find all that at lutherancartographer.com slash 2020 survey. Please take a moment to fill that out for me. And make sure that you're subscribed to the show. You can do that on your app that you use to listen to the show or on iTunes or on Stitcher. Make sure you're subscribed to the show so you don't miss any episodes like this one. Thanks again for listening. I'm Nicholas Weber. I'll talk to you soon.